Real Presence Live. Religion has understood things about the way humans function long before science was able to prove anything. Local. It's always important for all of us to kind of look externally and say, what about these family? They are just like the Holy Family. They're experiencing the same persecution. Engaging. Jesus wants to be with us. I always think of that as at the heart of the Eucharist. Live. A mystery then of the rosary allows us to see a teaching of the church, but to be able to go deeper within that teaching. Good morning, America. It's time for the greatest show syndicated in the upper Midwest. We have a great show today uh, with the Sons of Thunder. We uh, <clears throat> are enjoying our time. We have Bishop Kagan on today. We have a whole bunch of stuff dealing with the uh, Vatican Summit, the removal of Cardinal McCarrick, and the new news that we received yesterday about Cardinal Pell. There's a lot going on this morning. We have a lot of things to talk about. So uh, we uh, just were waiting on the, the older thunder here. He had a, a quick call he had to take, and I think he's back in the room now. Good morning, everybody, and <laughs> welcome to our live show here in Bismarck, North Dakota. It's 9 o'clock. I'm Father Justin Walsh. And I'm Father Josh Walsh. And we are the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> Sorry about the delay, but we had a traffic problem this morning. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there was some kind of an accident between Mandan and Bismarck getting over here, but we're live with you, and... As we begin uh, our segments today, let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we ask for an outpouring of your Spirit upon all those who are listening, and upon our own hearts, that we may receive all that you desire to give to us. We pray most especially for all those who are hurting in any way this day, those who are in despair, those who are in spiritual desolation. When? May you enliven their hearts, may you bring them consolation and healing. As we pray together, glory be to the Father, Father and, and to the Son, Son, and to the, the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. As uh, the Younger Thunder was saying, we've got one heck of a show lined up for you today. <clears throat> Basically, it can all be summed up with, we will be talking about the various elements of the unfortunate scandal uh, that we are facing right <laughs> Seems now. Seems like that's all we're talking and about on our radio right, show, we right? We said like five or six months ago, and this thing was finally getting going, that uh, it might only be a two, three-month <laughs> thing. We'd bring resolution, and we have just had uh, one bombshell case uh, after the other. Yeah, and it's just, it, it, it doesn't stop, you know? I think that's going to be the problem uh, that we're going to see in the future. It's just going to keep coming. Uh, and it's going to come little by little by little, and we're going to have to keep answering these questions. Um, but we, we do have some good stuff. You know, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about St. Peter Damien. Uh, St. Peter Damien actually dealt with this same crisis in, you know, the, about 1,000. You know, so about 1,000 years ago, this is not new. And when we get into that, you're going to see that there's a lot of connection between back then and now. And hopefully, uh, the same ideas that St. Peter Damien, uh, he gave to Pope St. Leo at the time, uh, that were enacted to kind of stem the tide of this crisis will happen again at the, the Vatican Summit that's happening right now. So, 
As we get rolling with this show, as always, we want you to tweet out that the Sons of Thunder are on. We want you to call people. We Facebook want you to message. Facebook message people. Uh, I know. Because we don't have that <laughs> We don't have any of that. We don't even know how to do any of that. But we're dependent upon you. Text everybody you know and tell them to get on and listen to Real Presence Live. So it's time for the best segment of the hour. Everyone's favorite bishop, Bishop David D. Kagan, and we are crushing it with Bishop Kagan. You notice that we've added uh, some incredible uh, sound effects. We want to thank our studio guys out there in Fargo. We did a lot of we did a lot of work getting those ready. Now, okay, I'm going to introduce this segment. We have Bishop Kagan with us today. Thank you for being with us, Bishop. And the discussion that we would like to have with you, being that you are a canon lawyer. Uh, and an expert in this field is this whole uh, situation with Cardinal McCarrick and now just yesterday with uh, Cardinal Pell in Australia. So Pope Francis has expelled or laicized Theodore McCarrick, a former cardinal and archbishop of Washington from the priesthood, after the church found him guilty of sexually abusing minors and adult seminarians over the decades, the Vatican said on Saturday. The move appears to be the first time any cardinal has been defrocked for sexual abuse, marking a critical moment in the Vatican's handling of a scandal that has gripped the church for now almost two decades. It is also the first time an American cardinal has been removed from the priesthood. Secondly, Melbourne, Australia, the most senior Catholic cleric ever charged with child sex abuse, has now been convicted of molesting two choir boys moments after celebrating Mass, dealing a new blow to the Catholic hierarchy's credibility after a year of global revelations of abuse and cover up Cardinal George Pell, Pope Francis's top financial advisor and Vatican economy minister, bowed his head, but then reigned his regained his composure at the twelve-member jury delivered a unanimous verdict, uh, convicting him. So, these are two major players in the Catholic Church. One might even argue that it was the number one cleric in the, all of the United States. It was laicized. I mean, a fall. Uh, a, a tremendous fall from grace. So could you walk us through, Bishop, what exactly uh, has canonically happened with mm-hmm. uh, now Mr. McCarrick? Uh, and yes, how these uh, it's, it's not correct to say that uh, he was laicized. He was not laicized because that's a privilege that you and I must petition for. Uh, what was done to McCarrick... Uh, was a judicial penal uh, process. Uh, it was a full judicial trial. Uh, and dismissal from the clerical state is done by the Pope strictly as a penalty against that cleric. So only the Pope can do that? Yes. Okay. Um, for a... Uh, uh, in this instance, uh, the former Archbishop McCarrick. Uh, but dismissal from the clerical state uh, always and only can be authorized and finalized by the Pope himself. doesn't mean that uh, his orders have been nullified. When he was ordained a priest, he's still... A priest, and there are uh, enumerated in the Code of Canon Law uh, a few instances where even uh, now McCarrick could actually anoint a uh, a person uh, on the verge of death 
uh, if that person were conscious, could hear that per person's confession, if there is just no access uh, to a, a, a priest in good standing, uh, and impart sacramental absolution, uh, because once a priest, always a priest. Um, but in the normal course, uh, part of the penalty is he cannot ever uh, present himself uh, as a priest, he cannot dress as a priest, he cannot perform any function uh, that you or I as priests in good standing uh, just do perforce of daily circumstances. It's only in those few uh, very specific circumstances. I'll read the communique that came from uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Uh, all the bishops in the United States were sent this um, on February 16th of this uh, of this year um, through the uh, nunciature to Cardinal Donardo, and then it's disseminated to every bishop in the United States uh, by Monsignor Bransfeld, the General Secretary. It reads this way. On the 11th of January 2019, the Congresso, which means the uh, regular meeting of the members of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, their cardinals and uh, bishops are the members uh, usually of, of all the congregations. But the Congresso of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith at the conclusion of a penal process issued a decree finding Theodore Edgar McCarrick, Archbishop Emeritus of Washington, D.C., guilty of the following delicts. That's the uh, 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 it's delicts in canon law uh, refer to crimes. Uh, delicts while a cleric. These are abominable. Solicitation in the sacrament of confession and sins against the sixth commandment with minors and with adults with the aggravating factor of the abuse of power. The Congresso imposed on him the penalty of dismissal from the clerical state. On the 13th of February 2019, the ordinary session of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith considered the recourse, which is appeal, he presented against this decision. Having examined the arguments in the recourse, the ordinary session confirmed the decree of the Congresso. This decision was notified to Theodore McCarrick on the 15th of February 2019. The Holy Father has recognized the definitive nature of this decision made in accord with law, rendering it a res judicata, which... Uh, Translated into English, it's a canonical firm, uh, term, uh, literally meaning a judged thing, which means there is no further appeal or recourse. It takes effect immediately. Okay. And of course, once the Pope confirms that decision, there 
in any matter there is no appeal against the decision of the pope uh so so what happens to him then? on that uh he's <laughs> done he's no longer a cleric uh i i have no idea is there any legal you know public legal proceedings that could happen as well that are outside the church's oh place? i suppose so yeah i mean uh those who uh accused uh McCarrick of of these terrible things can take up a civil lawsuit against him uh that this doesn't this is strictly the church's uh final if you will judgment and say about McCarrick as a cleric so even at his death he would not have a pre a priestly funeral he would just have a regular it, it, it possibly yeah a, a regular he's no longer a, a cleric okay. uh, in good standing and so uh he wouldn't be buried as you or I would as in full you know, vestments, vestments and, and all that yeah ladies and gentlemen we want to thank you for tuning in right now to real presence live <coughs> the sons of thunder show and crushing it with bishop kagan segment we are here in studio with bishop kagan uh, talking all about what has happened to now Mr. Uh, McCarrick on the, the East Coast, uh, the former Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, <coughs> D.C., and arguably one of the most powerful men in the church for many years uh, in the United States. Bishop Kagan is walking us through uh, the, the penalties that have been opposed upon him. Bishop Kagan uh, is also a ca canon lawyer uh, who is an expert in this particular area. So picking up where we left off, Bishop, you know, I, I think of like uh, financial support, uh, sustenance, a place to live. Um, you know, all of that is provided uh, through the generosity of the church, mm -hmm. uh, not only as active priests living in our rectories, but then again, when we retire, right. uh, there's many, many things that are obviously provided for us in old age. Uh, you know, Mr. McCarrick is what, 90, 91 now? 87? I, he's close. I don't know exactly. I, he might be close to 90. I don't know exactly how old he is in this particular instance he's no longer entitled uh to the direct support of the church he he would have to live in retirement using his own his own funds, funds whatever those might be but even in this case the code of canon law uh uh provides if it's a case let's just say for instance one of you uh <coughs> finds yourself either laicized which isn't a penalty uh or dismissed from the clerical state which is a penalty that but would be josh <laughs> i don't know remember everybody this is yeah. just a, this is hypothetical <laughs> yeah. this right is now. just let's make believe <laughs> right but uh um but if you find yourselves truly impoverished and, you know... <laughs> you, on the street. Yeah, it, on the street, it's incumbent upon me as your former bishop uh, to help you in some charitable way. It's not... Uh, the code doesn't it, uh, it put it in that, uh, you know, it's an absolute requirement, but it... The language the code uses is strongly uh, hortatory, exhorting me or whomever the bishop might be at the time, uh, out of a sense of, of compassion and charity, uh, to help uh, this destitute former 
it, uh, yeah, it's interesting to, <clears throat> to see even the charity of the church in the midst of, you know, somebody who is dismissed from the clerical state. You said earlier, I think this is really important, you said that if a person was in the, uh, you know, the moment of death mm-hmm. and there was nobody else around, that they still possess the faculty for the absolution of well, sin. Well, it's because they're still a priest. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that, like, the church's end game is everybody goes to heaven. <laughs> like, you know, even in the well, worst case situations, if, if it, they're... Everyone is helped exactly but you know the church <laughs> doesn't determine who goes <laughs> right. to heaven you know who determines that when we stand before him bishop kagan not really closing this out though today i think that um number one everyone you know we look back at the history of the church and you <clears> think <throat> of like the reformation or even some of the great uh you know uh what's the word i'm looking for heresies that have happened that we are living in a time, as painful as it is, uh, the church is going through a crucifixion right now, but it is one heck of a historical time. I never thought ever in my life I would, I would see uh, the level of, of penalty inflicted upon a man who, mm-hmm. you know, technically, again, was probably the most p- powerful cleric for years uh, with, within the church of the United States. So um, f- we need prayer, everyone, uh, but I think this is a sign to everybody, and I think the Holy Father probably wanted this to be a sign to everybody, that in fact he's got uh, you know, the, the, the reins of the church and he is moving it forward, and these things are just simply not going to be tolerated. I mean, if a, if a cardinal could lose uh, his position and you know, be laicized, or you know, penalty of laicization, uh, then, then, then we're we're definitely holding people accountable. We want to thank Bishop Kagan for being on with us this morning. It's time for our first break of the morning. Stay with us when we return to Real Presence Live. That's the exciting part. We'll hear about right after the break. Whether you're listening live or to the podcast on Real Presence Radio Network, we thank you for joining us. We'll tune in right after the break. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi everyone, Steve Sponskowski here, Executive Director for the RPR Network, inviting you on the Real Presence Radio Northern California Mission Pilgrimage, April 4th through 9th, 2019. We will visit some of the missions of St. Unipero Serra, the wine country of the Sonoma Valley, and sites of San Francisco. We'll be staying at a beautiful retreat center with easy day trips to the sites. Cost based on double occupancy is $1,936, or if you want to get your own flight, it's $1,358. For more information, please call 877-795-0122. Our Catholic listeners, it's probably the, the majority of you that are that are listening and calling in and giving we appreciate that so much and uh, and it's just an opportunity to continue to grow you know to continue to grow in your faith we know our faith isn't isn't limited to what you know in your head but what you know in your head does help move your heart and catholic radio is a great opportunity to engage in the faith to learn more to learn more about doctrine to learn more about the gospel to learn more about the scriptures and those essential elements of our faith i also know that catholic radio really helps to reach people who would never darken the doors of a Catholic church, who, mm. who don't know, who don't have a, a relationship with the church, and yet, you know, through whatever reasons, God's providence, they find themselves listening to this radio station. And, uh, and, I, and I personally know that that's, that's been the source, or that's helped many people on the way to conversion and deeper faith in Jesus Christ and, and the life of the church and the sacraments. So... 
Hi, this is Brett Byler, Area Account Executive with Real Presence Radio. Did you know the signal of Real Presence Radio reaches an audience of over 2.1 million people across North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming? Have you ever thought about running radio spots on the RPR network? We want to partner with you to help gain exposure for your business in front of a very faithful customer base. To find out more about your options, please call me, Brett Byler, at 605-670-8333. We all appreciate the comforting things in life. Great food, laughter, celebrating mass together, and friendships. Here at Riverview, we have all those things and more. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. With Senior Independent Living Apartments and our Crosshaven neighborhood for those seniors who need a little more assistance, it is the sense of community here that makes Riverview home to all of us. Contact me, Carrie Dew, or Kelly Brecky for a tour at 701-237-4700 or online at homeishere.org. You're listening to the RPR Network. Now, back to more Real Presence Live. Welcome back, everybody. We are live in studio in Bismarck. It's 920, heading into the middle of the first hour. I'm Father Justin Waltz. And I'm Father Josh Waltz. Brothers in blood. Brothers in the priesthood. And we just had Bishop Kagan on with us talking about the penalty of dismissal that was uh, given to now Mr. McCarrick, uh, the former Cardinal Archbishop of Washington, D.C., and unfortunately just breaking yesterday, Cardinal Pell of Australia, who is head of the Office of the Economy, uh, appointed by Pope Francis, was convicted of two accounts of molestation unanimously by a jury uh, in Australia, so we have yet seems to be all we're talking it about. Seems to be all we're talking about, and we've already said, you know, like months ago, we thought this thing would be over. But I think uh, that this is divine action, and I've I've had uh, a talk that I've been giving now two or three times, um, in which we're basically tracing the history of this, and so. Uh, in straight talk segment that's going to be coming up, and I want to encourage everybody. I'm, I'm going to give you that number right now because we're rolling into it out of this this segment, which we're going to be explaining uh, not only the history of the scandal, but the history of this trash, if you will, in the Catholic Church. And uh, to be quite honest with you, this happened um, uh, a thousand years ago. It's ironic that it's happening almost at the same time that it you know it did at the the end of the last turn of the millennia. So uh, we want you to get onto Facebook. Uh, in which you can ask questions via Facebook uh, as you're hearing us talk about this history and about what's going on, or you can call in um, at one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. We don't want you to do that yet, but we want you to get you thinking right now about maybe some questions that you have. And I want to stress, you know, we've got uh, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people that are listening right now. That they're, millions, well, there gotta be millions. The whole, the whole area, I think, is something like two point one million. So there's a lot of you out there that that are listening right now. Don't be afraid to call in because if you got a question on your heart about it, somebody else has got it Guaran- somewhere guaranteed. in the upper Midwest. So. Uh, please call in. It doesn't matter what you uh, want to ask. This is a tough time that we're going through right now, and the Sons of Thunder are not afraid to answer your questions. We're right on the front lines with you. Stay in the ship because the ship is the church, and the church is the safest place to be. Everybody's a little seasick. Yeah, even even when we're uh, getting attacked. So this scandal unfortunately is not new and so in the history of what we want to cover here in the next few minutes 
I'm going to turn it over to the younger Thunder, and he's going to talk a little bit about back at the turn of the last millennia uh, when Saint, Saint Peter Damien uh, lived within the same property. It's actually kind of interesting because, you know, like I, my brother and I were talking about, you know, we're, we're just sometimes we just get lucky. And I don't know if we call it luck. I think we call it divine providence. But last night we were kind of, you know, pulling everything together for the show, and, and I came across this article uh, by Matthew Hoffman, and he was he was referencing St. Peter Damien's battle against clerical homosexuality and how it offers these useful lessons for today. And much of what St. Peter Damien's reform struggle seems strikingly relevant to the modern situation. What was the date on this again? The date of Peter Saint, Damien? St. Peter Damien, when this when this The was crisis reached probably its height in around 1032. So we're talking <clears throat> roughly, folks, a thousand years ago, which is really interesting when you think that like a thousand years later we're dealing with the exact same problems that we were a thousand years well even archbishop sheen talks about the 500 year cycle right so the first 500 years the attack was on christ the head right and so that you know who is jesus and is he god and then 500 years later it was on christ the body right and the head of the church sorry the head of the church and that was the pope that's the great schism of 1052 and then you have 500 years later is the reformation the attack on the body and then sheen says that in 2000 and into the present age what the attack is 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 worldlyism so going with the world, and, and when you see all these agendas, the pro-gay agenda, the pro-liberal agenda, the pro-left, whatever, agenda, yeah, yeah the, the culture of death, that either you get on that or you're branded, you are branded, uh, you know, as a bigot. But this isn't this whole thing that we're dealing with right now is is not any different. Bishops and priests back in 1032 were involved in every kind of immorality, unfortunately, publicly living with concubines. Or illicit wives. Now, try think try about, figuring that out just, on Twitter. We were talking about this last night. I'm not. What we're going through right now in the church, number one, as we've said numerous times, is a thing of the past. So <laughs> right now we're in the third wave of this, which is the cover-up and all of it surfacing again, and the grand juries are coming out, and the attorney generals of each state are now starting to sift through the church's books. Great. We haven't had a case uh, in this particular area for, for many, many years. The bishops of the United States for the Dallas Charter, uh, as Bishop Kagan just said in this last segment, have done more than any other institution in this country, for sure, since this stuff has come to light to protect children, and, and so we have moved on from it, uh, but the church is still being cleaned out. But this was all cover-up underground stuff. Imagine, folks, and I'm, I'm assuming that each one of you has... You know, a, a great pastor who you love. All of a sudden, he makes an announcement this Sunday that says, yeah, you know what? I fell in love with, you know, Susan, and I'm going to be moving in with her. No, we're not getting married. She's just my concubine, and you're going to be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And then, I mean, the other thing, too, is like you mentioned, Father Justin, was, uh, you know, that the church has been really trying to do something about this. I mean, what is the Olympic gymnast team? What have they done? You know, where is that? And all the, the horrific acts that happened during that time. What, what about all the other gymnasts throughout the world? Why aren't they being investigated? Who knows how the much gymnast of that? gymnast doctors. Yeah, right. like how, mu how, much, how much of that is actually going on? Anyway, so not only do you have concubines, illicit wives, they were also engaging in homosexual practices. Many had purchased their ordinations. Imagine that. Yeah. Thank goodness Bishop Kagan's <laughs> gone right now. Hey, I'll give you hundred grand for my ordination. Not only did they purchase their ordinations, but they had lucrative benefits that accompanied that that life and spent much of their free time in scandalous secular amusements but the pinnacle as i said the pinnacle of the crisis reached in the year 1032 with the election of pope benedict the ninth 
a raucous and libertine youth. Listen to this, folks. Upon his election, he was 22 years old. Frat boy. Frat boy. And the, and the latest and worst in a long succession of comprised popes who served wealthy and powerful secular patrons. So the point being, we're just, gonna, we're just laying the background right here. A thousand years ago, and it was probably worse if you think about it because um, there was there was no secular media. There was no social media. The, this stuff could be hidden, and they were so powerful, as we saw, you know, with with uh, Mr. McCarrick, that he, you know, he he had a kind of a stranglehold on people around him because of his power, because of his his financial influences. But one of the most important elements offered, I think, uh, to the modern reader of Damien's work is his not now bear with us is his understanding of sodomy he wrote a book called the book of gomorrah and it was an it was a, a push against all of this stuff that was going on he saw it as not merely a sexual perversion involving two people of the same sex but rather a continuum of sins that progressively depart from the nature of the sexual act this continuing be- continuum begins with such acts as contraception or self-abuse the point of it, what he, his point is, is that when you get into disordered sexuality... Which is everywhere. Which is everywhere it's right called the now. the sexual revolution, everybody. It was a terrible idea. I mean, you talk about contraception being, you know, the norm. It's handed out more than vitamins. Self-abuse, pornography, all that stuff is considered the norm. He said that out of that, you are going <clears throat> to get an absolute catastrophe within the world and within the church. But it's interesting because his practice, when he, when he said sodomy, he was not just talking about homosexuals. He was talking about the disordered, perverted sexual life. And that, that is going to bring us to the point in which we want to talk about, that's the historical background for everything. And now you're about to enter into everybody's favorite segment everybody's of the Sons favorite. of Thunder. What we have is Straight Talk with the Brothers. Yeah, word. Here we come, going straight head to head with my enemies. And we're going to take on the world, everybody. We want you to call one 877 Get on Facebook, too. You can get these questions. Yep. We already got a question uh, coming on in from Andrea on Facebook. Again, we want to tell everybody, you can call in with whatever you want. We're going to keep talking about this subject, which I think everybody wants to hear about. Uh, Unfortunately, trying to, bring, trying to bring some clarity as to how we got into the mess that we're in and where we're going. Okay, uh, we just want to give you that number again. It's one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. You can call in with any question you want because it's a straight talk segment. Uh, but we always in our straight talk segment have a a particular issue that we're rolling with. But you can ask any question uh, that you want. So Andrea on Facebook says. <coughs> Do you believe that the decline of our faith, youth, young adults active in the church today is due to the dumbing down of our faith to them as they were younger uh, and they had it read another statement from the bishop saying that this is his opinion? If so, uh, how do we combat this and what would the main thing we dumb down for uh, for our younger Catholic families. So, am I reading that correctly? I I had uh, I had read another statement from a bishop saying, 
this his opinion. Okay, so uh, if I'm understanding, definitely, <laughs> if I'm understanding this uh, question correct, Andrew, you're saying that over the last, we'll just talk the last hundred years, uh, that there has been a progressive dumbing down of the faith uh, through through the church, through the clerics, and this has led then to the decline of the practice of the faith. Uh, in 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 the generations that we're witnessing right now, and I, a very easy answer to that is yes. Uh, now the question is, why did we go that route? And you know, you've got a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that have a lot of opinion on this. Some, uh, you know, in my opinion, erroneously—well, not in my opinion, the church's opinion—erroneously blame this on like the Second Vatican Council. They say it's an invalid council or all this sort of garbage. Obviously, that's not true. Uh, it was, you know, validly called by a validly elected pope. Uh, it is different than other councils, but nonetheless prepared the world uh, for actually what we're facing. In the words of Pope John Paul II, uh, you know, his, the fruits of that council have not been realized yet. I think we're heading into that time right now. That being said, with this scandal rocking the church for over 33 years, starting all the way back in 1985, obviously the abuse started way before that. I think when you when this started bubbling to the surface and you start seeing what was going on in the church, uh, it is safe to say that a lot of Catholics either knew or knew somebody that knew someone who was abused or a family that was affected by it. So, um, that being said, uh, when that type of rot is underneath the surface for you know decades, that action alone even though it did not come to the to the you know the the height of of being seen until recently nonetheless would have tremendous negative effects on the faith of believers that knew that it was happening right so i mean you want to destroy somebody's faith obviously if they're abused many times that happened thank god if it didn't but then there's the the extended family of the abused. There's the friends of the abused. There's the the, the classmates of the abused. The, the the generations that knew that it was going on. Now, I fortunately was you know this is kind of I'm after the fact as a generation Xer. But uh, when you see the church acting that way, and then something like the Second Vatican Council happens that maybe opened the doors to change, which most of the change, especially that happened in the United States, was not called for by the Second Vatican Council. It's just as simple as that. It was. You know, priests sawing up altars, and I mean, none of that was was in the council. And then you combine that with the social revolution that we had at the time. Okay, uh, I think that it was you know a demonic attack, but the planets aligned, and that's where we got not just the dumbing down of the faith, but just frankly unorthodox, crazy church church practices. You want to get angry? Get on YouTube and look up the clown mass, the puppet mass, uh, and you know whatever other masses they were practicing back. You know, in in the 1960s, 70s, the stupid period. Yeah, of the church. yeah, it was the stupid period. None of that narrative, none of that agenda, none of that ideological vision of what it's called the pastoral <clears throat> approach, and it failed miserably. And frankly, was unorthodox. Not only dumbed down faith, but it was it was sacrilegious and detrimental to 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 those who were being raised in it. And so, yes, Andrea, I do believe that that has contributed in a megaton way to the mass falling away that we have right now. I also think, too, it's important, again, going back to St. Peter Damien, he had the exact same problem a thousand years ago, and he attributed it, he attributes it to because there was such disorder within the clerical state that that had to come into the the celebration of, of the mass and, and how uh, 
all of it was practice. So if you have a dumbing down of morality in your own life, you're going to subsequently dumb down your own, you know, teachings of the faith. Not to mention when you see clerics acting in this way and or are corrupt and aren't preaching from the pulpit and can't preach from the pulpit, that the Word of God is not getting uh, his way out in the culture. And the, the miracle in the whole thing is that, in fact... Uh, we're still here, you know. Not only we did we make it through Damien's time, but we're going to make it through this time. So, Chris, uh, texting in or calling in? He's not on the phone, driving truck. Forty six. So years hopefully old. he called in. He didn't text it. If he's yeah, that's all right, Chris. Keep it. <laughs> keep on trucking, buddy. Uh, Forty six years old, been Catholic all his life, been away for ten years, coming back, wondering why all the translations, <clears throat> uh, like the Act of Contrition and such, change and why. Um, Huge, huge question, Chris, because it really encompasses uh, many different dynamics. So on one end, you've got, uh, you know, prayers. So, for example, we we have the act of contrition. Well, the act of contrition, you know, oh, my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee. That was written in the late 1800s. So a lot of the times we want to jump to the conclusion that uh, that act of contrition, you know, was written by St. Peter. And all of a sudden, you know, in the 1970s or 80s, these other act of contrition sort of came out. That was the standard one, and frankly, this guy right here, as a Catholic priest, has that posted in my confessionals, as does my brother. As do I. Uh, and I think that's uh, the <clears throat> most formal and orthodox one. The other ones, in fact, are not invalid because <laughs> the, the sacrament itself just calls for uh, you know, a change of heart and, and contrition, so we put that prayer in there in order to manifest that. <clears throat> but one could simply just say, you know, I'm deeply sorry for all of these sins, Right, my, uh, my which favorite, is a less formal way of doing My favorite act of contrition, which is actually in the rite of confession, is, <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. Because an act of contrition is an act of sorrow. So, I mean, you could literally make up your own prayer if you wanted uh, within the confession saying, Jesus, I'm really sorry. Please help me to be a better person. I love you, uh, and I'm going to try to do better. Amen. So that's the act of contrition, Chris, but then on a much larger level, we actually have the new translation of the Roman Missal, which is the book that the priest celebrates Mass out of. So if you were gone for 10 years, this is actually kind of one of my uh, litmus tests for where somebody's at, because, you know, they come for a wedding or a funeral or whatever it might be. Uh, and now, you know, it's the Lord be with you and with your spirit versus some people be like, and also with you. Well, you haven't been to Mass in the last four years. And then they're uh, like, when did that change? Yeah, <laughs> you know, five years ago. <laughs> oh, wow, five years ago. So uh, one could say this, and this is not a judgment on the Second Vatican Council, but coming out of that council, the uh, new Mass of the Novus Ordo uh, was, was enacted, which you know, basically brought the church back to what the the mass the apostles were celebrating, which is a huge topic unto itself. We don't have time to get into it right now, but it's a beautiful mass, so is the extraordinary form. But in all things in the church, it's always written in Latin, right? So they got to translate out of the Latin into the vernacular of the people, or that means whatever language you speak. And so they did this uh, type of translation that they call a dy dynamic equivalent. In which, while the Latin sounds that way, so poetically in English, it, you know, it sort of means this. Well, there's a, a phrase in the church, lex credende, lex credende, which means that how we pray, is I have that wrong? Yeah, I got that right. Lex orandi, lex, lex credende. I got that switched around. So uh, it means how we pray is, or what we believe is how we pray or what we are. Okay, so if we've got a poor <coughs> translation, getting back to what Andrew was saying, it's a dumbing down even of the liturgy. Now, the liturgy is obviously still the liturgy, but because we're praying at a more superficial level, we are not entering into it as deeply as we should. And yes, that does have a massive effect on the church. And so really holy people in the last 10 years 
which are retranslating all of these things, uh, you know, have brought it about in such a way that the, the retranslations, especially the mass, have just come out, and it's much closer to what the Latin actually means. Yeah, I mean, if you want just an example of that, look at the Ash Wednesday prayers uh, for the mass prior and and post the new translation they are it's it's really really amazing so again thank you for calling or calling in chris uh our number here eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two or you can post on facebook questions that you have for the sons of thunder uh during this straight talk segment we have mark from watford city on the phone sorry it took so long mark we had a lot to talk about with that last one great question are you there yes i am here and what's your question yes my my question is, <clears throat> I guess it's, I guess it's a broader or, uh, or maybe twofold. I've just noticed with my children, for example, going to over the years, I I have a range from twenty year old to four year old, going to the Right to Life March, <clears throat> that there is a revival in the young people, and I've Absolutely. also seen a revival, what seems to be in the charismatic renewal. And I just wondered if that's related to John Paul II and, and the things that the past, or what exactly is causing that? Yeah, or, well, if, or, if, they, or if they're related amongst each other. I guess if are they related? So, yeah, I, I would. Uh, let's break it up a little bit and start with John Paul II. There is no doubt um, uh, that you know, obviously, Saint Peter is the greatest pope ever to reign, but he, he is clearly one of the greats. And when you have uh, someone of that magnitude. In your time, uh, that has written at the level that he has written, one might argue to a certain extent Pope Benedict would be the same, but John Paul is obviously the great, and so something like theology of the body or just the sheer amount of interaction he had with the youth. Uh, I can remember back in 1993, uh, my family sent me on, on the World Youth Day down in Denver, and I mean, just watching him cruise in on this chopper, you know, with 700,000 kids at that point. And that was all the way back in 1993. So did he reach out and connect with the youth? Yeah. There is no doubt about that. And, and I think what we mean, um, and I, there's a, you know, the, when, when we say charismatic renewal, uh, that's a very broad, you know, uh, sort of swipe at it, right? There's many different angles on yeah. that. We would say, obviously, the church has been charismatic from, it, from its inception, um, you know, but I would say that he was charismatic, no doubt, meaning filled with the Holy Spirit. The man spoke 27 fluent languages, right? You want to talk about the real gift of tongues? That's one manifestation of it. I mean, you just can't do that on a, on a regular human basis. So, But second to that was just the sheer presence of the man. Both Father Josh and I met him. Uh, uh, what was it back in 2004 or five? Something uh, like that. Anyway, so <laughs> long time ago. And, uh, you know, just having him lay hands in my head, a surge of heat and fire went through my body that I have never experienced ever in my life. And, you know, you want to talk about uh, slaying in the spirit. I mean, it was, it was so much joy uh, and energy, and I've just never been the same since. So was he a conduit charismatically of the spirit into the world? You know, without a doubt. Now, the the latter end of your question, Mark, I think is uh, a, a, a very deep observation because you're right. And what the secular media won't show you is that uh, the, the passion, let's just put it this way, because there's millions of millennials out there. They're even bigger than the baby boomer generation. Uh, but then the homelanders coming after them, that the, the passion exists in those who are living the faith and promulgating the truth. So when you show up at a Sikh event, you show up at 
the March for Life. You you see it. I can only speak to the Diocese of Bismarck, but what's going on in our Catholic school systems? Uh, the sheer energy and passion and devotedness and and commitment uh, to the new evangelization, which is John Paul II, right? The new evangelization that one can't help but to say this. I'm not going to say they're the majority because I don't think they are. They, at least they're not the super majority. Maybe it's a 50-50. But the ones that care and are passionate about it are the ones that believe. And so what I mean by that is that on the other end of this are the people that are just caught up in the cultural drift, uh, you know, that have been anesthetized, if you will, by whatever the thing is out in the culture anyway, from the gamers to, you know, the pornography to, to the drugs. And those folks, you know, they're not passionate. And when the passionate people over here get to those people, they are able to light them on fire and many times bring them over into the quadrant of the passionate, believing, committed uh, people in the world. So is that a, is that a, a, a beautiful uh, sign uh, to, to the coming uh, new evangelization? Yes, Mark, I think it is. Good. Thanks, Mark. I hope that helps. Uh, we got Casey on the phone. Again, that number is one eight seven 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 nine five. 0122 Casey. Oh, sorry, he's not on the phone. He asked a question though. Why do Catholics praise Mary and pray the Hail Mary if in the Bible when Jesus was being praised, he said only the Father deserves praise? Well, I think I mean, again, this is a, a you know, what a, trying to define terms, right? Why do Catholics praise Mary? Um I don't know if we we praise her, we honor her. The church is very clear uh in the word uh honor. And and we also ask her for her intercession as much as I would ask my brother if I'm going through something very serious. I'd say, can you please pray for me? We go to Mary because she was the mother of God. Uh, and because of that is the greatest saint to ever live. Why would we not ask the, the greatest saint to ever live to intercede on our behalf? Yeah, bottom line, Casey, <clears throat> that it, she's the mother of God and the mother of Jesus. So we all have mothers. Now, Jesus is the most important person ever to live because he is God. And so his mother obviously is the closest to him. In many cases, we would say the same about our own parents, right? He lived in her womb. He chose her from all eternity to be the person that she was. She changed his poopy diaper. She fed him <laughs> from her breasts. Obviously, she is extraordinarily special to be in that deep communion with with Christ, and so she has a certain in as any other you know uh, mother does with their sons. So, well, and even uh, looking too, I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, Scott Hahn writes directly on this. Talks about the Queen Mother. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, the Queen Mother, uh, and again we read you know the Old Testament in the light uh, of the new. Yeah. So the Queen Mother had like had a serious place within the kingdom of power. And she it was, wasn't the wife of the king. No. It was the queen in the Davidic law. It was right. it was the queen. It was the mother of the king. Right. So then people will be like, "Wow, we don't follow the law, right?" Because Jesus fulfilled it, which means that Jesus is the eternal king, which automatically makes his mother the eternal queen because he's fulfilled the law forever, and his throne will 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 never die away. Right. So there is no new nothing coming. So they are. That's why they're eternally seated. Uh, in 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 power as they are now. Obviously, he's God. She's just the greatest soul ever to live. Um, but she does have incredible intercessory power uh, with with Christ Himself, as Christ has the ultimate intercessory power with the Father. And I would say this last thing, and then we'll move on. If you you know if you really want to test this out, give Mary a chance. Yeah, exactly. you go ahead. You go go ahead and give her something that you 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 know are praying for or have been praying for, and just like. 
I, I can't remember who the saying was. I think it was St. Faustina. She said, Jesus, you've been saying no to me for so long with this prayer, so I'm going to Mary, and you say no to your mom. Right. And so, and apparently after that, the prayer was, was answered. So again, thanks Casey. We appreciate the question. One eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. Again, you can also uh, submit questions on Facebook. We have Alice from Bismarck on the phone. Alice, are you there? Hi. Hi. Welcome <laughs> to the Sons of Thunder show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a statement and a question. Um, Back in the 80s, um, well, there's a there's a statement out of Rules of War that says, know your enemy. And, exactly. like, back in the 80s, um, in in gay regs and, and what they were saying, they said, we will get into your seminaries and your churches, your, you know, whatever, your schools. It was, you know, a proclamation, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so I think it's really important to know what, goes on on the other side, <laughs> know your enemy here. But um, what do you think it will take for the church? Um, everybody says, you know, it's like 80% of this is adult homosexuality, and they keep calling it protection of minors. <laughs> right, right. What will it take for them to admit that this is... Um, homosexuality in the church yeah it's a great question um and we're going to clarify this with catholic lives matter segment later on the show but just to address it right now the church actually has uh, made a definitive statement just to, to, to start on the surface in 2005 the church came out uh under pope benedict um and said uh either he was doctrine of the faith or or he was pope already i don't remember i'd have to look that up but anyway they made a definitive statement that any a uh, man with deep-seated homosexual tendencies cannot be admitted to seminary and certainly cannot be ordained. And so the conclusion of of the global church was this is a bad idea to be ordaining uh, uh, homosexual men. Okay, So they have addressed it. Now, uh, whether or not <clears throat> bishops are following that globally uh, is, is another story, or have been. Uh, would 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 be the real question, but the church has definitively made that statement. Now, uh, to that end of what you're saying, protection of minors. What's going on? There is, uh, to be fair, there is heterosexual abuse, but as you said, it's in the super uh, uh, minority of the abuse. There is pedophilia in it, both heterosexual and homosexual. Um, but again, that's in the the minority. But what the actual megaton problem is the big percentage the 80 percent that you're referring to in the scandal is actually what we call hebophilia and what that is is an adult person that is uh obsessed because it's a deviant behavior obsessed with uh teenage post-pubescent uh and we're just going to call them children because that's what they are right so we're talking about from about 12 to 16 17 11 to 16 17 uh, is where a lot of that abuse took place. And the supermajority of that 80% in the John Jay study that the bishops did back in 2002 is, in fact, homosexual hebophilia, which, when you look at homosexual tendencies from the Greeks onward, seemingly is the age group that uh, they seem to struggle with and have challenges with. So when we say protection of minors, uh, in fact, uh, it is... They are minors, right? They're under the age of 18. But it is not pedophilia. Not that pedophilia hasn't been mixed in with it. So I, you're correct, Alice, in, in what you're saying, that 
in fact, this is a homosexual problem in the church, as was acknowledged literally by the Vatican that said, you know, look, we're not ordaining uh, these folks anymore. To the end of the infiltration, though, of what uh, uh, happened, um, you know, in I would say all the way back into the 1960s, <coughs> 70s, 80s, there's a lot of different theories. And I, I would be in agreement with you that certainly the, the gay agenda was probably forced in this direction. And, you know, maybe uh, certain uh, uh, homosexual uh, people joined for the purpose of advocating that agenda within the Catholic priesthood. But there seemingly is, is good evidence that communist Russia, <laughs> this is going to sound conspiratorial, but <clears throat> communist Russia actually, the, the Kremlin made a conscious choice to infiltrate the church with gay KGB agents. Well, it wasn't even just the and, church. It was, it was all of culture. But there's a former communist, Bella Dodd, spoke on the communist infiltration of the church. She said that <clears throat> on uh, important communist party lawyer, teacher, and activist, she, was, she, was, she converted to Catholicism in H April of 1952, get this, under the tutelage of Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. She did state, though, that the communist infiltration was so extensive that in the future you will not recognize the Catholic Church. She testified before the U.S. House American Activities Committee. She said, in the 1930s, listen to this, in the 1930s we put 1,100 men into the priesthood in order to destroy the church from within. The idea was for these men to be ordained and then climb the ladder of influence and authority as monsignors and bishops. Finally, Catholic philosopher and professor Alice von Hildebrand, who was a friend of Dodd, she told her that when she was an active member of the party, she had dealt with no fewer than four cardinals within the Vatican who were working for the communists. Right, so a lot of people are going to say, well, that's all a conspiracy, but it, it really isn't. I mean, it makes sense. You want to destroy the church, you do it from the inside. There's a book called AA1025 uh, that's actually written by her, and it's her uh, discourse as a communist converted to Catholic of how they went about doing this. So, you know, I just think there's so many different factors. We won't really... Well, what, uh, it's understand it until we get to the judgment. It's, it's interesting too because like you know you can sit back and you say it's conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. But if you think about it, I mean, like it, a lot of this seems orchestrated. I don't look. I'm not going to say that's the end all be all. I'm not going to say that oh the communists did it and so we're free of our guilt and blame. I mean, we let it happen. There's no doubt about that. You don't put 1,100 men into the church and then say you know how do, how do they get promoted? How do they keep moving up the the ranks? I don't know. Like, that was a serious failure on behalf of the church hierarchy, and, and we slowly, little by little by little, let this stuff happen. But it has completely changed the landscape of the church. It's completely changed everything that we, we see as of the church. You look 100 years ago compared to the present day. Man, and, and it looks orchestrated on almost like a global level. They're starting to, I mean, the summit in the Vatican has a, uh, addressed this as a, a global problem. This is not just America. Well, this is everything. That's the thing, right? Uh, I just want to, real quick, before we continue this conversation, i got a really good point on this, but one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. You can also get on got Facebook. we got time for one more call. We got, yeah, we got time for, for maybe even even a, a couple, couple of calls, but we want to thank Alice uh, for her call, which has really opened up a good topic of conversation, and that's the orchestration of this thing. Now, you want to come to me and say, okay, well, it happened in the United States. We can go back and say, well, the sexual revolution was happening. Uh, there was rampant immorality ever, and so, yeah, you know, that got into the Catholic priesthood, and hence we have what we have. But it's not just uh, the United States of America. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere, right? I mean, there is no country on planet Earth, everyone, that has not been affected by this. 
So that had to have been orchestrated. Otherwise, you would have to just simply stay from a statistical view. This should be happening all the time, right? And therefore, there's got to be some cause in it. And you have these people coming out and saying, well, you know, it's, it's got to be the cause of celibacy. Well, all right, it happened with St. Peter Damien back in 1025. We didn't see it for another 700 years. They didn't see it for 1,000 years before that or eight or 900 years, whatever it's been. And so you can't blame it on that. And obviously, the, the, all of the research is lending to the fact that it is not a celibate problem, right? That it is a hebophilia homosexual problem with some other stuff mingled into it. But, but yet, it was global. And so I ask you, as a faithful Catholic listening today, you have got to kind of amuse yourself with the question. You know, entertain the question that it was some orchestrated attack on the Catholic Church that we're going to say... Uh, was certainly demonically driven. And I don't know about another power on earth that is more demonic than communist, atheist Russia under Lenin and Stalin. And yes, men like that are capable of enacting an attack on the Catholic Church, which nobody ever believed would happen, nobody ever saw coming. You know, up until this point, if we were going to get attacked, folks, we were martyred. Well, guess what? Communist, atheist, Russia, governed by the devil himself, figured out that that didn't work. As a matter of fact, the more you kill us, the holier we become. And so, yeah. rather than killing us, they infiltrated us with their demonic activity, and it worked. Dare I say collusion. Collusion. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about collusion. Uh, it would be interesting to see historically in another hundred years, which none of us will be alive, but if you think about it, I mean, when we study seminary, in seminary church history, you know, they go back and they're like, you know, in fact, uh, this is what was actually going on. They didn't see it that way. Or, you know, when you think of the Reformation, they're able to kind of really pin down how this whole thing got going. But if you were caught up in the, you know, the, the groundswell of the thing, you wouldn't have really realized what was happening. Even maybe 10, 20, 30 years later, you would sort of have some idea of what was going on. But we're just getting into this now. We are finally getting the statistics. The, the, the top has been removed from the cesspool of rot. And we're looking into it saying, okay, well, this is what happened. The why has yet really to surface in the multifaceted explanation that we're probably going to have within the next hundred years. Well, and I, I mean, I, I don't even, this may be, you know, politically incorrect. I don't know, but I, I, was, I, 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 yeah, I think, you know, if you look back to to Fatima, uh, our lady said that, you know, Russia's lies will spread throughout the world. And, you know, I mean, maybe we were, we were all thinking that it was Marxism, communism, that whole ideological right push. And and, and for the record, I mean, we have uh, you know history of deep state operatives that have been in America that have lived here for years, years, just getting ready to come on the scene when they need to. And so, you know, maybe the lies of Russia were actually this liberal left sort of disordered homosexual infiltration of the, the church. KGB. I, I, I really don't know. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. We're just throwing it out there. What do we know? We're just a couple of priests with master's degrees and uh, liked a, a little bit of conspiracy early in the morning to get you thinking. Look, everybody, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all who called in to this segment of Straight Talk and submitted questions in the Holy Spirit for guiding us to hopefully answer those questions correctly. We're going to step away for a couple of minutes, but coming up at the beginning of the next hour are engaged couples being properly prepared for marriage 
and later highlighting the true femininity, true femininity, a retreat that seeks to do just that. All this when we return. Until then, I'm Father Justin Waltz. I'm Father Josh Waltz. And we are the Sons Sons of of Thunder. Thunder.